Goedemorgen. Goedemiddag. Goedemiddag. Welcome to the Aisha Network, where I, Chaya Evers, together with fascinating and remarkable women from the Amsterdam Jewish community, will be sharing stories and journeys on motherhood and womanhood. A little bit of English and Beit in Nederlands. Join us for the second season of our well-acclaimed podcast. Like the humid summer rain, I've been choosing all pieces, oh, but the pieces never fit. We've been playing until my heart breaks, all that's left is me. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Haisha's podcast. Each one keeps getting better and better, and I'm so honored to be sitting here today in the presence of Mrs. Bori Marsa, yeah. um, a woman that I have met on many occasions in shul and in the street and just throughout my years here in the Netherlands. I've met her many times, and I told her this before, and I don't want to um, embarrass you again, but I'm going to say it. Um, when I see you, I always think that's a real woman of valor, a woman that to look up to. You always have this kind um, chesed, kindness um, just on your face, and you always embrace and engulf people and give people a really nice, warm feeling. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. And it's really my honor to be here today and introduce you to um, our community and our listeners. And I think that anyone who knows you will say that It's true what I'm saying, um, that you know, you're someone that everyone can really learn from and admire um, as someone to look up to. So it's my honor to be here today in your home. <laughs> so, Mrs. Marsa, you are um, almost a matriarch of a big family here in this community. Um, you have many children, I mean, grandchildren here, and um, also in Israel, I think you have grandchildren. Yeah. And, you know, you really were born and raised here in, in, in Holland. And I would love if you can share with our listeners a little bit about your beginning of your life and how you are here right now. Um, now, first of all, I feel very privileged. Uh, and I thank HaKodesh Baruch every day for being alive. Because um, when my life started... It was during the war, and imagine that I've got today two daughters and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Wow. I feel it as a triumph on Hitler because he couldn't get rid of the Jewish people. Wow. And that's, you know, the war is... Every day in my life, I, when I look at my grandchildren, then I think, how is it possible that I, in the age of two years, was brought to the concentration camps? Can you imagine? That's uh, such an amazing thing. And that, that you survived that. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, unbelievable. I tell you, my father came from Hungary. He was a very poor boy. He came from a very poor family. And when, in, for, for example, during the night, he couldn't sleep from hunger. And uh, he went to the neighbors, they had one cow, and he was drinking 
milk under the cow, otherwise he couldn't sleep, so hungry he was. Yeah. And he, after his bar mitzvah, his parents sent him to Bratislava, and there he learned to be a furrer. You know, furrier. Furrier, yeah. yeah. And uh, his teacher saw immediately that his he was very, very successful. What his eyes saw, his hands could make. Yeah. And he told him, listen, in Hungary, people don't have money for a fur coat. Go to Europe. That's much better. There you have a future. Like so, Western Europe. Pardon? Like West of Western Europe. Yeah. yeah. So he went and at the end he came to Holland. First to Germany. He didn't want he didn't want to get there for long and then he he came to Holland. He met my mother in Rotterdam because in Rotterdam there was a kosher restaurant and the owner of the restaurant he was a kind of a chatron and he always was sitting He Next was uh, doing couples to bring together. So oh, nice. there he met my mother. They fell in love and they got married in 1933. 1938, And then at 42, I was born. And then the, the, the Jews were already in a big danger. And they were taking the Jews to Westerbork, you know? Yes, I've It's been a little there. town in Holland where all the Jews were gathered before they were sent to the concentration camps. And, but you know, my father, he was thinking, I'm a Hungarian. And they don't take me. So he went to a friend of him, a doctor, and he asked him, can you take me to your hospital where I can hide myself? And the doctor said, you know, then we have to do something in order that you are ill. So be strong, drink a glass of blood, and I will write down that you have an Maagbloeding, how do you say? Blood disorder. Yeah, a blood disorder. So that my father did this. And my mother, because I was during the war born, I wasn't written, registered. So she went, yeah, yeah. and she went to the neighbors and she begged, please take this baby, bring her to this and this hospital. My husband is there because they take us to Westerbork and tell them that she has got a child illness and the Germans were scared for illness mm. and they put me in isolation. And you know, the woman who was bringing me during the night, she offered herself because that was very dangerous. Imagine yeah. a lady with a baby, If she was caught, they yeah. could have killed her on the spot. Wow. 
Anyway, uh, we could stay there for three months, and then the doctor said, you are a healthy man, I can't go on with this. Uh, so they sent us to Amsterdam, and my mother was still in Westerbork. And we stayed there another three months, and then my father did a very great job. He went to the headquarters of the German, and he started, he went in, saluted, he said, I'm a Jew, I'm from Hungary, and you are not allowed to take my wife and my two daughters away from me. I want them to, to bring them back. And you, you won't believe it, they were so impressed that he was not afraid. And my mother came back to Amsterdam. Mm. That was martial, that was so special. But my mother saw that the whole town was empty, all the Jews were gone, houses were empty, and she started to cry the whole day. She said, I want to be by my own family. And there came somebody from the underground and they offered an address for us to hide us. And my mother said, no, I want to go back to Westerbork. I want to be with my own people. So. They went back, wow. and, and from there, my father was brought to Buchenwald. That's one of the, after Auschwitz, the worst camp. And my mother with three little children to Ravensbrück. Okay, Ravensbrück. Yeah, so I was two years when we arrived there. And you have no idea, you know, in the morning they were counting us. So we have to stand in line and for hours to stand there in the cold. You remember? I remember at the end of the war when I was four. Okay. When I was two, I, I didn't remember. I know only from the stories. And, uh, you know, we were very quiet. My mother always said after the war, it... It is as if you felt we had to be quiet and to stand out of the line, you know, that was amazing. Nobody told us, but it was an intuition, uh, intuition. An instinct also. Yeah. yeah. And my sisters told me they were already three years older and they were afraid, but I went to the capos. Capos, this were ex prisoners from Poland who had to look after us. And I went to Schmeichel there, and I, when they were drinking coffee in the morning, I governed the sugar. We stole. Yeah. yeah, I stole it, and I divided it with my sisters. And, you know, without knowing, I saved our lives because of this. And the capos, you know, a child of two years is always funny, and has something, you know... Schattig. Schattig. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know why, but they let... They saw it, that I was governing, but they let me. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, in the 44, it was terrible. The camp was... You have no idea. And I, I can't imagine that a two-year-old child survive you know we had illness children illness i don't know which one we were my sister was having 
rood vonk in de camp with high fever and she survived. Wow. It's amazing. If I see today the children, you know, we care about them. We are afraid that they catch a cold. And it was so cold over there. We were standing with, without shoes in the snow. <gasps> With bare mm. feet. And how did I survive? It's a nest minna shomayim. It's a real miracle. Also, a miracle, you yeah, know. It's also like the human body is so, so resilient that it could handle that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, I always think I had, Kodesh Borgel was, you know, had a plan that we had to survive. and But why... Us, you know, after the war, I felt a little bit guilty. Six million of Jews were killed and murdered. And our family came back. It's unbelievable. Yeah, don't ask how we came back. Yeah. Because, you know, it was terrible. My sisters were sent to Switzerland to recover. I was too small and too ill. And they were for nearly a year in the mountains to, you know, to get back to normal. Wow. My father was the whole day like this, shivering. shivering. He was only 30 kilos was his weight. <gasps> Imagine, you have no idea what we went through. Uh, My we father, all survived. We all survived. We are one of the only family from Rotterdam who came back, Complete. parents with the children. It, wow. We were an exception. Wow. My father in Buchenwald, he was every day davening, Shachris, Minge, Marif, Bahart. And the people around him were laughing. And they said, where is this God of you? Look in what a hell we are living. And you are still davening? My parents were very from. Like and they, yeah, and I think that kept them alive because they they learned us also after the war, only always in the worst cases, always believe that there is an Hakodesh Borgo above. Never forget that you are Jewish and never forget that somebody is Lamala who will help you. Wow. You know, they had such a betogen. And I think that's one of the reasons why they survived. Amazing. I tell you, um, they had, my father had to walk the dead march from Buchenwald to Theresienstadt. And whoever couldn't go on were shot on the way. And without Rachmonas, you know. And his friend, Gazen Moskowitz, saw that my father was at the end. My father started to say already Shema for himself because he was sure he was going to die. And Gazel Moskowitz took him on his shoulder and slept him the last meters to Theresienstadt. And he saved my father's life. And imagine the first thing what they were asking, do you have a feeling? Because we want to thank Hakodesh Borgo that we arrived safely. They didn't ask for water or bread. They asked for tefillin to say thank you to Hakodesh Borgo. Unbelievable. Wow. 
And my father had to work very hard in Buchenwald. It's, you know, my brother, after the war, wrote a book about our family. I will show it to you afterwards. And in a half a year before the war, my mother started to be very ill, but she was still, uh, you know, the Germans told the children of Ravensbrück that by Christmas they had to sing Christmas songs because they were having a Christmas dinner. So my mother and her friend, Frau um, Moskowitz, they said, no, we are Jewish. Our children are not going to sing Christmas songs. We don't let them. And they hired us in the barrack where we were staying. And the children, there was a special barrack. And can you imagine the German were eating their big dinner and the hungry children from Ravensbrück had to sing for them to entertain them while they were eating and they were starving. And while they were singing, the German went out of the barrack and they burned down the whole barrack. All the children of Ravensbrück were burned alive. Uh. Hundreds of children. And only because my mother uh, hid us in the barrack, only because of this we were, we were surviving. So you were the only children survivors from, from, and, and Ra- also, from and Ravensbrück. And all, yeah, also the family Moskowitz, three yeah. children. Can you imagine? So how did how did they hide those children? Under the there was a, a sort of luik. How do you say it in English? Luik. Uh, um, a space under the ground okay, where they like put a pit. Yeah. A cellar. Yeah, where they put us, and after this burning, there was a panic around because the German were feeling already that they are going to lose the war. And they wanted to wipe away all the witness, you see, for the history. They didn't want to show the world... What was left. What the monsters they were. And then we were put in sort of kettle... uh, Cars. Cars. And we were brought to Bergen-Belsen. But then my mother was already in a coma. She was very ill. And she was thrown on the, uh, how do you say, all the... On a pile of bodies. The mesim were put on a pile. And my mother was thrown there. But her friend, Mrs. Moskowitz, the wife of of the the man... Of the man who saved your father. She went to to the managers... Please help this lady. She's the mother of three little children. I want you to save her and to give her medicine. And that's what happened. Yeah. My mother was taken away from the from the bodies, and she was treated, and she survived. Wow! And can you imagine? My parents, they were so um, strong, actually. Although they went through the worst scenario what you can imagine mm. they when they came back to Rotterdam they started to build the Jewish commun- 
community. My mother was in the Geva Kadisha. My father was the Gabe in Shu. And they made from the Kehela Rotterdam, like everybody who were saved and left uh, from the war, it was a big mishpoche because of my parents, you know. Wow. Rabbi Forst also. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Very Rabbi special. Forst was, uh, he's about five years older than me. Wow, he's, yeah. he was also born in, in Vesterbork. No? Yeah, or he was born in, yeah. And his mother, no, his mother died in the war with a brother of him. Right, right, I remember he told us. You saw the crystal night when he was speaking in Shul? No, but in Tikvatenu he shared some of his stories. He spoke so wonderful. He's such a tzaddik, you know. He's mummish a tzaddik. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, So, you know... I find it interesting how open you are about your story of the Holocaust and your story of survival because I find here in Holland people don't really want to hear about the war. They don't want to talk about the war. No, but for and they don't want to even like, you know, it's very painful for them, especially second or third generation. They kind of feel that their Judaism is identified with the war and that's painful. So then they don't want to identify with Judaism because it's connected. No, I'm the opposite. And right. I so I would love for you to share. Um, how you take something so atrocious and horrible and 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 build because, your life because it. I feel very privileged that I'm able to to tell my story and I think it's very important mm-hmm. because we are the last generation who can still tell who were still there mm-hmm. and who are able to tell their story and I think also for the young people they should know. And I go to schools to tell my story because I think we never have to stop telling about what happened. Right, but I think also the the faith and the courage that you infuse in your story, that you share from your parents, their devotion to to Hashem in this time, I think it's extreme for me. It's very inspiring. You know, if if someone could be in such hell, as you said, and still hold on to their values and their strength... I mean, we're living like in nothing compared to what they live through. But my parents always learned us there is an end of the the tunnel. Whenever your life is terrible, don't uh, be desperate because there is always an Hashem who will save you, who will listen to your davening and and never fear because at the end of the tunnel... Always the sun is shining. Wow, wow. Yeah, and that's Um, what they learned us. Yeah, it's very, very special, and I really admire it. And, you know, after the war, your family, they built up their life in Rotterdam, and you had, you know, you you grew up, and you got (laughs) married. And I want you to share a little bit of your work as a woman here in this community, of what you took on, Um, maybe speak a little bit about your work with Zichron Menachem and why you started to work with them, because I think it's... It's very special that you take all this pain and negativity from from the war and you utilize it into a positive, positive. thing. Yeah, you know, and if you could share I about felt, it. I felt always a kind of, um, yeah, a, a desperate will to do something with my life, you know. I couldn't. I always was thinking, I can't be saved without doing something with my life. I have to do, to show the world that 
I'm, I'm picking up my life in positive mm-hmm. way. Survived for a reason. Yeah, survived for a reason, exactly. So I was always, there was always a desire in me to do something for other people. And then one day I got a phone call, do you want to be a social worker in the community, although you don't have any uh, learning about it, but you will do as your heart will give you in. And I started to work for 18 years in the community on on the social department okay as a social worker like for the NEIS yes for the Joodse gemeente yeah wow today it's not anymore because of the corona yeah but I worked there for 18 years wow and then and what did you have to do with this social work uh, I had to go to lonely people people are in hospital people are in 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 desperate situations like a real chesed yes Yes, and then my eldest grandson in Israel got a terrible accident, and for 40% of his body was burned. Oh, wow. And I went to Israel, and I was sitting maybe more than half a year next to his bed, and I was the whole day davening, I hope he will save, I hope he will, you know, his life was on a... On a very big danger, and he had 40 operations. And my daughter was living in Israel. I've got two daughters, one here and one in Israel, Jerusalem. And she was a volunteer of Zichon Menachem. Zichon Menachem. You want to explain what what Zichon Menachem is, maybe? Now, I tell you, I met them, a couple called Chaim and Mary Erntal. And they lost their son, Menachem, who was fighting for 16 years of leukemia. 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 And they had five children at home. And they saw during the illness of Menachem that the children at home, they got so less attention. The whole attention was for Menachem. They were sitting for hours in the hospital. And the children at home were, you know, lost. And then they decide, after Menachem died, that they are going to to make an organization, uh, organization, not only to help a child who is ill, but the whole family around. So to go to to make showers by the families, to help the children with the homework, everything... You know, Real when, support for the whole family. Yeah, when a child gets ill, your whole life, your whole world... It's turned upside down. ...is upside down. And I was so impressed by that work. And you know, when I was sitting and davening for my grandson, I made myself a neder. A promise. A promise. If Nafti Uri will survive, the rest of my life I will devote for ill children. Wow. And because, you know, it was Minna Shomayim that I met Chaim and Mary Antal, and I got friendly with them. And when Menachem died, I invited them to come to Holland because they were desperate. They were in a very bad stage. And uh, I took them around for 10 days. I showed them all Holland. And they were so impressed 
And they said, Dvora, you have to work for us. That's not for Stam that we are, that we met you. Bring Sergomanachem to Holland. Do us a favor and bring Sergomanachem to Holland. So I started on my bike to visit people and tell them the story. But slowly, 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 because... Because I was working for the community, people knew me already. And they were happy to help me because I was helping them already. So they said, okay, we will help you. And slowly, slowly it started. And then... And one second, you were doing fundraising for for Zichar Menachem? Yeah, I I did a fundraising. And, you know, then there started a story in my life. Look, my whole family said to me, forget about it. You never organized before. You are not able. Because Chaim and Mary asked me, can you make a, a holiday for ill children, for, for 200 people to bring to Amsterdam and have a holiday in like Holland? A camp. A camp. And everybody said to me, ach, you will disappoint them. You are not able to do that. You have never done that before. And the more <laughs> my family <laughs> said, don't do it, the more I wanted it. I get it. Totally. And then something happened in my life. This is Mamish Mina Shomayim. I got a phone call one night from a friend. And he said, look, go to the OLVG, that's a hospital in Amsterdam. There is a Jewish boy from Israel. This is car. It was bitterly cold. It was slippery. And he was running by car in the water, in the gracht from Amsterdam. And he's in a very bad stage. The family is on their way to Holland. And they are afraid that they won't save his life. So please go there. And I went there, and every day I helped these people. These people were a little bit primitive. They didn't speak English, not German, only Hebrew. And I started to translate for the doctors, and I went with kosher food. And I went for hours to sit next to this boy and with the family. And the boy was working in a hotel, the NH hotel. Mm-hmm. He was doing stage. He came from Dimona. And every day the man came to visit his employee and he asked me after a few days, Deborah, why are you doing this? Do you know this boy? Have you met him before? I said no. I said, look, are we Jews? We are all family. We don't ask who are you and I never met him, but that's what we do. We call that a mitzvah. Now he said, unbelievable. I, I've never heard a story like this. I said, but for us, that's normal. Yeah. And then after 10 days, the man asked me, look, I've got cancer. You don't see it on me, but the doctors can't do anything for me. And before I close my eyes, I want to do a mitzvah. Like you are doing, do you have a mitzvah for me? I said, I I have to think about it. Now, anyway, the boy died after 10 days, and I called up the 
Oh, no. The Jewish community, they were sitting there with a minyan to say Tehillim for him. He was 23 only, and the family, he died, and the family, he died on a Friday, and the family stayed over Shabbos by us. And then the man said, this, this non-Jewish man, he said, I want to pay the funeral, and I want you to go to Israel to be by the Levaya and, and join the family. I said, no, Mr. Diaga, I for a mitzvah, you don't accept an uh, award. Now my mitzvah is finished, and the Jewish community will pay the funeral. He said, but listen, this is my card, and don't forget, I want, before I close my eyes, and I don't have long to live, I want to do a mitzvah, a big mitzvah, what you were doing. Anyway, so I got his card, and one night I couldn't sleep, and I thought, you know what? This man is a director of a hotel. Maybe he has got a hotel for me. So the next day I phoned him, I said, look, I've got a big mitzvah for you. He said, come to my hotel and tell your story. Whatever you ask me, I'll give you. So I went there, we had some coffee, and I said, I need a hotel for a week for 200 people. Do you have it? He said, oh, Dvora, I'm so pleased. I will give you one of my hotels for free. I will close it and it will be all yours. For And that will be my mitzvah. So then came Sigel Menachem to Holland, and I was sure this was a sign from a Kodesh If a person wants something, he can, you know? So the whole family said, you are crazy, and they were amazing. You know, there came 200 people to Holland in a hotel, which I didn't have to pay. And, and it was a wonderful place. It was a castle in, um, near Amsterdam, you have no idea. And this Machane was such a success. And then I saw HaKodesh Borgo gave a bracha on my work. And I started, you know, I made already eight Machanot. Wow. And, and you know, I believe... And you, you get it for free every year still? No, oh, just man, one year. he came over Shabbos to the Maganei to see the children. And two months later, he died. Wow. Yeah. So you really so gave f- him his mitzvah. Yeah, I gave... So mitzvah, gorer et mitzvah. One mitzvah leads to another. Yeah. And and that's how I started my work by Zegel Menachem. Wow. And I think it's not for nothing that I was saved. I had a a goal in my life. And it gives me a lot of satisfaction, although it's very hard to get every time the money. And then, you know, I hear this child died and this child is not anymore here. It's very, very hard, you know. Well, so you even make a connection with the children. Yeah, I make a connection. I keep in touch with them. And, And, you know, it's very hard. And I also do Gevre Kadisha, as you know. Yeah, for the so you, yeah, yeah, so you have a lot to deal with death. But the more I deal with it, the more I get a bit tochen that there's another world after when we die. 
And I saw it also in the hospice. I was working five years in the hospice. People who didn't believe in Akkodesh Borgo had a very tough fight by dying. But people who believe in another world, they went much easier to die, you see? Yeah. But I think also um, when you see people in so much pain, doesn't it give you even more courage to live your life? And yes, to, sure. To be, to be thankful yeah, and, exactly. and to go on. You know, I'm one of the richest women in the town to have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's, that's such a privilege. Yeah. I feel very, very fortunate. Yeah. I feel like, you know... Hitler couldn't kill us. We are still alive. And mm. and nobody can ever wipe us away. Nobody. Yeah. So I think for the listeners here, especially the Dutch ones who, who listen to this message, you know, and have this feeling with the Holocaust that it's something that, that burdens them and pains them, they can hear your message of courage and strength and say, no, be proud of who you are as a Jew. This is your... This is your revenge almost or, yeah. or this is your way living your life and being proud of who you are and being you know not, proud of your values is not is, scared but uh, you know to show that you are a Jew I'm proud that I'm a Jew and and I feel very very fortunate wow I have no words left you said everything it's uh, I forgot special. only to tell my father made a made a nader in Buchenwald. Again, I'm just going to explain a nader is a promise. Yeah, yes. a promise. Whenever he will save from Buchenwald, he will the rest of his life make from fur, parochet, and all kinds of things in shoe which are from fur. Did you ever see what my father made? Like the, the like the curtain for, for the Torah. Yeah. The, the rest of his life he devoted for Kleikaudish, for Jewish holy art. objects. Yeah. Wow. He made a neder. And he's the only one in the whole world who make a parochet from fur. You have no idea. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I th- I've seen it. Um... In Beit Shalom there is one. In the Obrecht Shul there is one. Well, and, and he sold them all over the world. Yes. In, in Jerusalem, the big shoe that's hanging, his parochet. Like the big, big shoe? Yeah. Wow, that's very special. Yeah, he made a neder in Buchenwald when, when I was... And you know, my parents always told us to be tolerant to every person you have to get along with them, mm. whether it's a non-Jew liberal, orthodox, doesn't matter. Be tolerant and be happy with everybody and be friendly. Our house was always open for everybody. My mother yeah. cooked not only for the family, but for three person extra. You never know who can come in. Wow. You, yeah. Wow. And my daughter is exactly like my mother. You have no idea. So it's good. It's, so it stayed in the family. Yeah, it the stayed in the family. Said. Yeah, unbelievable. And we all stayed also dati, you know. That's nowadays that's very special that yeah. six children we were with my parents got three children after the war. Wow. Can you imagine? My brother was born in 48 when the 
Men ding dat Israël was uh, declared. And then my only brother, of only one, was born. That was such amazing. And you know who did Bries? Ra- uh, Moskowitz, who saved my father's life. Wow. And, and one, you know what I find so interesting is that his wife and saved, saved your mo- mother's life and her, her husband saved your father's life in two different places. They were yeah. really messengers from Hashem. You know that one of my grandsons is called Ben Zion. You know him. Yeah, Ben Zion. Ben Zion is called after Gaza Moskowitz. Wow, very his, special. His name was Ben Zion. Yeah. Very special. Yeah. Okay, so Mrs. Marson, I think if it was up to me, I would keep talking for another two <laughs> hours because everything that's coming that you shared with us today was just so beautiful and very, very inspiring, I have to say. And I will take those messages to heart um, to, to live my life, to be proud and to really also not give up. Keep going when you have a dream and you have a passion. Yeah. And just and, and, to and keep doing if you it. want something, you can, you, you know? Can, yeah. Everybody said to me, you can't, you can't. And then I thought, wait and see, yeah. <laughs> wait and see. If you want it, it okay. will happen. Yeah. Making value of the life you have. Yeah. Very special. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today at our podcast. We hope you join us again very soon. To find out more about Haisha, or to join one of our events, visit our website at Aisha Pintanel or check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Haisha.nl. The music featured in today's podcast is by singer and songwriter Sarah Hacht. Tot volgende keer!